Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores, sifting through the nuts and bolts of life. Joe Souchere. Well, it's time to turn the old clocks back. I'm pro that. Uh, spring ahead, fall back. So tomorrow you go to bed at 11, you're really going to bed at 10. You gain an hour. You get up at 2 a.m. to make the official switch, or do you set them before? I usually set it before. I set it before. I don't think I'm going to get up at 2 a.m. I set one before. The rest, you spent the next three days going, wait, is it 2 or is it 3? You know what I'll do? What are you going to do? I'll stay up just to make sure it happens. Okay. That's the kind of guy I am. Yeah. All right. Uh, most of the U.S. observes the time change, but not every place makes the switch. Is it Indiana? No, the exceptions are Hawaii, okay. most of Arizona. That would be confusing. That's right. What time zone are we in? Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, American Samoa, Guam, and the Northern Marianas. So They, they don't accept it. They, Why Arizona, I wonder? I don't know. You're right about Indiana. I thought, I they thought were, there was something weird. No in Indiana. mention of Indiana. Let's, let's not even worry about Maybe it. Maybe they just they've come to their senses. Oh, I'm curious. I'm looking it up. All right. Uh, returning to the destroyed academy, just for briefly, because uh, I'm running out of enthusiasm for this topic, although it's so prevalent that somebody's got to do it, right? right. Columbia, uh, Columbia University in New York. The Columbia University College Republicans are being investigated by the university for discrimination and harassment. Their alleged crime, inviting offensive speakers to campus. <laughs> Those rowdy bunch of bow-tie-wearing Republicans. The college Republicans have been hosting a weekly speaker series. A few of the recent speakers, namely Mike Cernovich and Tommy Robinson, have upset students due to their controversial views. Let me stop right there. I looked up both of them. Uh, uh, Cernovich dabbles in conspiracy theories. Robinson is British. Uh, I couldn't find anything in my quick tutorial to to believe that anyone should be investigated for bringing them to school for a uh, lecture Speech, series. Yeah. You know, if you don't like it, don't go to the lecture series. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Columbia's Black Students Organization created a petition to get the college Republicans defunded saying the speakers pose a literal a literal threat to minority groups. The petition didn't work, but Columbia student government did vote to file a discrimination and harassment report against the college Republicans, leading to the university investigation. College Republicans President Ari Busalis balked at the idea that his organization was being investigated for a thought crime and said he is confident the group will be cleared. This is just a direct attack on our existence, Busalis told Campus Reform. They're doing it because we think differently. They want to silence the speech of anyone who's Christian, conservative, or who believes in free market values. The college Republicans plan to continue the speaker series while the matter is investigated by the Student Conduct Office. Upcoming speakers include Jack Abramoff, Dennis Prager, and Adam Carolla. They're not a more gentle soul in the world than Dennis Prager. Nice guy. Uh, Adam, well, you know, eh, he's funny. funny, very funny. Why should I know the name Jack Abramoff, but I don't? Who is he? Uh, he is a uh, executive. I'm trying to think, a radio executive. Let me look. A B R A M O F F. Abramoff. Abramoff. Jack Abramoff. Students disrupted and protested the event which Tommy Robinson spoke at, blocking entrances and causing such chaos once they got inside. 
that the speech was ultimately derailed. Robinson was speaking via Skype video conference and pivoted from a speech to a Q&A in response to the disruptions. Columbia was investigating 16 students involved in the protest, but after pushback from the faculty, the investigation was dropped and the students will face no punishment. What did you find out? I was thinking of a, of a different Jack. <laughs> um, really? Really? You want uh, a meeting? Jack. <laughs> really? It's Abramoff. That's, that's Jack Abramoff. That's right. Now it's uh, coming. It's coming back to me now. Coming back to me. Uh, Jack. Jack. Abramoff, not who I was thinking of, an American lobbyist, businessman, movie producer, and writer. He was at the center of an extensive corruption investigation that led to his conviction and to 21 uh, people uh, that either uh, were sketchiness and so forth. So that's he's he's associated with the Republican Party. All right. Georgetown University. Yep. Thank you. That's enough. That's that's good. What did the callers want? They're calling, but they're not staying on the line. Uh, they're calling to tell me who Jack Abramoff oh, is. All right. See, this is going to be of uh, uh, significant interest to GLers. What? Well, because we don't fear the automobile. We don't fear uh, the internal combustion engine. There's a loophole that allows damaged cars to be sold here in Minnesota. Uh, let's get rid of that loophole. <laughs> Experts say a loophole in Minnesota's vehicle titling law allows dangerous cars to be sold to unsuspecting buyers. And with the surge of flood cars from Florida and Texas about to hit the resale market, the problem could get worse. Thousands of vehicles currently being driven in Minnesota have been totaled, smashed, flooded, and yet still have clean titles that carry carry no warning about their history. Doesn't that fall under buyer beware? It, it it means buyer beware is what it means. Okay, said Todd Murray, an attorney and consumer advocate who specializes in auto fraud. It's a lesson Marissa Cartwright and her father found out too late. I was risking my own life every time I got in the car, she said. Marissa has a 2001 GMC Jimmy. It was her first car, a 16th birthday present from her parents. She drove it for four years. But when she went to a dealer to upgrade, he told her it had a serious safety flaw. The airbags that were installed in the car were dysfunctional, and we found out they would not have opened uh, had there been an accident, she said. Turns out the car had been in a previous accident and had not been fully repaired. Well, how can the state of Minnesota, the state where nothing is allowed, how did this slip by? We're going to find out. This is a piece from Carol Evans' website. Okay. Uh, Jeez, that's serious. That was horrifying news to Marissa's dad, Lindsay Cartwright, who had purchased the vehicle. It's something... If something would have happened, I don't know if I could have forgiven myself, he said. Lindsay says he asked says he asked about the car's history before he bought it. I said, I do not want a salvage vehicle. And whoever sold it to me assured me this was not a salvage title, he said. That was technically true. But only because of a Minnesota law that one of the nation's leading experts called a state-sanctioned loophole. We have a loophole here. Hmm. You know what the loophole is? I, I want to know exactly. In Minnesota, cars six years old or older or worth $9,000 or less can get clean titles no matter how badly damaged. What? Un- unlike salvage vehicles, they don't need to be inspected before being rebuilt and resold. Without that inspection, the dysfunctional airbags went right underneath the line, Marissa said. 
According to a Carfax report, Marissa's car had been damaged, had been deemed a total loss by an insurance company before she bought it, but it was never never labeled salvage because it it fit that loophole. It was six years old or older and worth nine thousand dollars or less. You can so get it a, had a clean title. I, I've that's I can't believe that the auto dealers out there, the wow. lobby, hasn't gotten together to say we need to stop this because the uh, reputable dealers are not selling. We're going to follow up on this. There's more. Oh, I just lost my. No, oh, here's one. This is not nothing. Here's Joe Suchere. Hey, before we get back to cars, uh, one more note on the degraded academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hans has alerted me to the fact that Dennis Prager is going to be speaking at the University of Wyoming, and apparently the school newspaper there is calling him a neo-Nazi. Well, I tried to corroborate that, but I got the Wyoming, uh, what's the name of this newspaper? The Wyoming Tribune. Uh, and the headline is wrong. Uh, conservative firebrand Dennis Prager to visit UW. Uh, he's not a firebrand. He's a really deep thinker who's right about most things he discusses. Well, then that's somebody that's not informed at all. Yeah, it's the newspaper. <laughs> you ever heard of Prager's show? Yes, I have listened to it. He's a he's a very reasoned guy and a staunch foe of socialism. Uh, okay, back to the cars. Boy, okay. have a care. Don't you agree with me that the, you would think the the automobile lobby would, would want to close this because somebody who would be doing this would only be irreputable. Most uh, dealers are not going to do this. And these same loopholes apply to flood cars. In my opinion, every flood vehicle should be destroyed, said Bob Henderson, a Minnesota-based investigator for the National Insurance Crime Bureau. Flooded cars literally, literally rot from the inside out, said Chris Basso of Carfax. Cars with flood damage may have waterlogged computers and short circuits and other electronic sensors that can cripple important safety features, like brakes. I would say brakes are an important safety feature. Uh, more often than not, huh? More often than not? I uh, think so. The Minneapolis and St. Paul area ranks seventh out of all metro areas in the number of flood cars that are back on the road, according to a recent study by Carfax. More than 7,300 previously flooded cars are being driven in the Twin Cities right now. Your life may be in danger because these cars are literally ticking time bombs, said Basso of Carfax. Why so many flood cars in the Twin Cities? Basso said it could be because of Minnesota's title laws. That's a definite loophole and one of the reasons why we might see so many flood cars in Minneapolis area, he said. More flood cars are likely on the way. Experts estimate that more than a million cars were flooded in hurricanes this year. They predict about half will soon be for sale and sent all over the country, including here in Minnesota. So bad. Some will be properly titled. Others will have their titles washed as unscrupulous sellers move cars from state to state to take advantage of differing vehicle registration laws. How much more could you save? Uh, uh, where does the profit margin come in? Where these flood-damaged guys get them at a, for a song and then sell them for what would be an I guess. I, average retail price? I, I, I'm reasonably confident i've never purchased a flood damaged car personally me i'm not so sure what about pats what about pats what didn't he have the oh he just went through the car wash. or no he left no, the top down the during top the rain then considered... went to the car wash to get the water out of the car <laughs> uh 
It's not difficult to clean a salvage title, apparently. It adds up to a potentially dangerous situation for unsuspecting car buyers, according to consumer protection attorney Todd Murray. Uh, he said Minnesota's laws are among the weakest in the country. Here, we have the weakest law. We, you can't buy a, I find you, that hard to believe. You can't buy menthol cigarettes anymore at a gas station in St. Paul. But we can't, you can buy a flood-damaged car? The attitude is, well, if you can't afford a new car or an expensive car, then apparently you're not entitled to a safer car. And I just reject that argument, uh, he said. That's the attorney. Uh, Murray says he sees drivers get stuck with unsafe cars all the time. I've dealt with a number of cases after being inspected by a knowledgeable expert. We've been told that the vehicle isn't safe to drive. Many of them are buyers like Marissa and her dad. If she would have been in an accident, she could have been killed, Lindsay Cartwright said. It makes me angry that I would jump in my car every day and drive wherever I was going, said Marissa. It was a potential hazard to everybody who was in my car. Is there anything that the uh, this story is offering us that we could... Uh, with a car comment? Correct. Kelly. Hey, Joe. Hi. So my wife bought her 2003 Mitsubishi Lancer at a small dealership in Wisconsin. Yeah. And at that point in time, they did not disclose to her that it had been flooded. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to because of some law that they have over there as well. Yeah. If it's within so many years and rusting from the inside out, piece of junk. Is it really? Yeah, it's my car now. <laughs> well, well, what could you have done to prevent purchasing it? You, in other words, did you examine it thoroughly? Did you lift up the carpeting and get under there and look? I don't know. She bought it before we got married, oh, and right. she, she she just thought she was getting a great deal on it. Yep. And yeah, great deal. All right, thank you. Thank you. You notice how he had to say it's his car now. Right, right. <laughs> Cliff? Hey, I'm just calling to say I've, I've actually bought one of these flood damaged cars intentionally. Why? There's some There's some good, you know, and I knew that. There's some legitimate folks like in St. Paul and on the Newport that sell these cars. Yeah, and they do a good they do a good job cleaning up. All right, thank you. And, and, uh, but do they tell you that it was flood damaged? I, I hung up. Oh, on okay. That. Experts say consumers should always run a vehicle history re report before buying a used car. The National Insurance Crime Bureau and Carfax have opened up their websites to allow you to do a flood car check for free. However. Those only show what has been reported. Flood damage won't always be indicated. Carfax does charge a fee to check for the damage history for most vehicles. Since Minnesota does not require flood or salvage titles on older cars, experts also recommend having an auto mechanic check out the car before buying. So the bottom line is this. If you're buying a car six years old or older for nine grand or less, you really, really got to do your homework. You really got to do your homework. Well, how do you do it if the title's clear, though? Well, clean. There's, get down on your hands and knees, peel back the carpeting, see if there's moisture, see if there's any rust. I mean, check. do your homework. Check the exhaust, the oil. Everything. How are you going to pull back the carpeting without ripping the interior? Well, I'd figure out something. Got to get her done <laughs> is what you do. Now I got to check this out. Check ben? the oil. Ben? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just wondering, don't 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 the original Carfax with the original VIN numbers go back to the to the car itself? Any dealership that doesn't give you a Carfax, I wouldn't buy a car from them anyway. But isn't the the original go back to the original VIN number if you do a Carfax? Yes, your point being what? Well, my point being is is if you're buying a car from 
from one, a, a dealership asking to run a Carfax. And if they don't do that, then I wouldn't buy the car from them. All right. Most most dealerships will, will pay for a Carfax. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I've seen Carfax provided on all occasions that I've ever had to wonder about it. Sure. But, but the, but the it, it's a curiosity here in the in the state of abundant governance. Yeah. It's just a real irony that for some reason, I don't know, the auto industry lobby or whatever. Okay, that's what I'm saying. What's Who is about follow the money, I guess, you, huh? You have a, a case here in Minnesota where cars six years old or older and nine grand or less are eligible for a clean title that doesn't have to say salvage or flood on it. I personally don't <laughs> know how you uh, would... Uh, bring back to life a flooded car because of the electrical and, yeah, and things yeah, of that nature yeah, yeah. It, it uh have you seen the pictures of the flooded cars in houston yeah it's not like it's clear water that it was flooded i mean with. it's a it's a dreadful situation I, I i understand people are looking for values all the time and i would imagine you're getting a good price on these things but that's a word to the wise i did not know minnesota had that loophole right in its titling laws so uh, have a care. I'd uh, take your screwdriver and your flashlight and poke around till your heart's content if you're buying well, a six-year-old you got to be careful, too. Like Reaver said, you can't wreck the interior. Hey, you rip it up. Sometimes. Yeah, go over to Mauer and start ripping up the car. No, well, you're not going to get a flood damage. <laughs> well, that's right. true. Right. That's, that's true. true. Uh, uh, smaller guys. Garage Logic will be back in just a moment. John, as is our custom. Yes. John, go ahead, please. Hey, John, uh, Joe, it's John, the uh, GL service dog trainer yeah. calling in. how are you? Good. I'm just calling to let you know that uh, Bruce Vale's million-dollar idea is already gone. You're kidding. Yeah, there are dogs that are able to detect mold. Oh, my God. There's not a million-dollar idea yet come up with in this show that hasn't already been done. Joe, there are even dogs that are able to detect bed bugs. <laughs> right, thank, Ew, gross. Thank you, John. All right, bye-bye. Here's John Height in the newsroom. Wait a minute. Was he the guy that uh, helped facilitate the dogs attacking you? That service? Uh, no, no, no. He no. trains uh, service dogs for service people. Those gotcha. Were okay. Police canine. Uh, no, he trains service dogs for people who need a service dog, not for service, service people. Yeah. He, <laughs> Rick, John Height in the newsroom. It's cloudy and thirty-four degrees. <laughs> Wolves with two home games this weekend. Tomorrow night, the Dallas Mavericks in for a game at the Target Center. Then on Sunday, Charlotte in town for a Wolves home game. Could you imagine having a service person like Vern Troyer? Hey, go this way. <laughs> Take a left right and hit the corner. <laughs> Turned into kind of a weird show. To yeah, we're out, goofy. It? It's Friday. Yeah. Well, but you know why? Why? It's the weather. Because oh. it's overcast and it's scramble. We want to scramble to be sunny and festive. Well, it's not, so we're kind of... You can't always get what you want. Okay. Fall now, so... But you can get what you need. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. You might get what you need. Yeah. That's it. Wild with a big 6-3 to three win last night over the Montreal Canadiens. They wrap up their long six-game homestand tomorrow against the Chicago Blackhawks at the Excel Energy Center. News notes from today. Two investigations filed against former St. Paul Fire Chief Tim Butler have now been closed. Angie Nelesny, the Human Resources Director, Director for the city of St. Paul has confirmed that Butler, who stepped down October 21st, had recently been disciplined by city le uh, leaders for retaliating against an employee. Earlier in October, Butler was issued a written reprimand by Deputy Mayor Kristen Beckman after it was determined he questioned an employee who had filed a formal complaint against him. In the letter, Beckman stated Butler's actions equates to intimidation by a superior officer. It was the third time Butler was investigated for a violation of city policy this year. He was warned any other infraction of the workplace conduct policy would result in more 
severe discipline. Uh, on point 2017, Mayor, mm-hmm. we were wondering about time zones in the state of Indiana. Yeah. Half of the state of Indiana is in the eastern time zone and half is in the central time oh, zone. But apparently the whole state follows the daylight savings. They do, deal. yes. Yeah. All right. A Blaine teacher accused of criminal sexual conduct acquitted by a jury in Anoka County. According to the criminal complaint, 54-year-old Kenneth Lee Sonnenfeld of Oak Grove had been accused of sexually touching a then nine-year-old student at the Blaine Elementary School in which he served as a fourth-grade math and science teacher. Sonnenfeld pleaded not guilty to a single charge of second-degree criminal sexual conduct in May and was found not guilty by the jury. It appears it was a rogue Twitter employee who wanted to end their last day at work with a bang that was behind the disappearance of President Trump's Twitter account for 11 minutes last night. About 7 o'clock, Twitter users started noticing the president's active Twitter account vanished. It looked more serious than some kind of temporary suspension. In fact, uh, it was even added to the Twitter account that said, at real Donald Trump does not exist when you tried to visit his page. Well, this time... So let's not do anything. Well, this time around, the deactivation of Trump's account seems to have been harmless. The act does raise, the experts say, a number of serious questions about the kinds of safeguards that Twitter has regarding its most high-profile accounts. How senior was the employee who committed the act? Did they have any kind of special access to accounts at the company that allowed them to delete the account? Are there safeguards in place to protect official government accounts? And is it possible for other Twitter employees to quietly delete smaller accounts for political reasons without detection? The account was restored within 11 minutes. Steve Stepp and his team of engineers, all in their 70s, are using a bag of rust, a kitchen mixer larger than a man, and a 62-foot-long contraption that's used to make magnetic strips for credit cards to avert a disaster no one saw coming in the digital music era, the world is running out of cassette tape. No. Really? Wow. National- Who wants it anymore anyway? Well, there are folks, as you'll, as you'll hear Old in a schoolers. minute here. All right. National Audio Company, where Mr. Stepp is president and co-owner, has been hoarding a stockpile of music quality, one-eighth-inch uh, one wide magnetic tape from suppliers that shut down in the past 15 years. National Audio is trying to hold on, and now a lot of musicians are clamoring for cassettes as a way to physically uh, distribute their music. Yeah, because you want that nice... Hiss in the background. (laughs) The company says it has less than a year's supply of tape left, so it's building the first manufacturing line for high-grade ferric oxide cassette tapes in the U.S. in decades. If all goes well, the machine will churn out nearly four miles of tape a minute by January. And not just any tape, according to Mr. Stepp. He said it'll be the best tape ever made. People will hear a whole new product. Well, he's sitting on a gold mine. Well... Uh, There are many repeat customers. In fact, one of them is Metallica. Uh, They uh, put some stuff on cassette that they want to sell. The company's 45 employees have also produced cassette soundtracks for the installments of movies Star Wars and Guardians of the Galaxy and a surprise release by the Platinum Pop Act 21 Pilots. Most customers are up-and-coming bands, hobbyists, or eccentrics who order 50 to 500 copies at a time, including a man who claimed to have recorded the sound of grass growing. According to Mr. Really? Stepp. Really? Grass yeah. growing, not blowing in the wind. Yeah. Ah. How nervous were you, though, when you made the mixtape for the girl you had the crush on? And then you, your hand's shaking as you hand it to her. No? Am I That's, the only one? I can't say that I ever You did never that. made a mixtape for a lady? Mixed CDs, maybe. Not, not That's tapes. technology. Well, like when but... you were in school. No, not, I never not did. Not when you're the best old... thing when you had the dual cassette oh, and you could yeah. roll. 
I'm not sure that they even had cassette tapes. Well, much. when you were in school, Joe and myself, yeah. we, had, we had eight tracks. That's that right. We would tracks. make mix eight tracks, Chris. You, you could, could do that? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Okay, Certainly. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. You'd get an eight-track recorder. The only problem is, you guys, I don't know if you remember eight tracks, all Joe made, you made. They switch tracks. There's yeah. actually four yeah, tracks. Like, and it goes... Yeah. So if you're recording the new O'Neill Young album, yeah, uh, uh, normally if you buy it, if it's purchased from a store, the the break comes where there's not a song. Right. But when you're making a homemade one, it'd be old man. Look at my <laughs> so, man. That was the problem with homemade eight tracks. Yeah. Do they still make eight tracks? No, I don't think so. Mm. No, but there's some dude that is just hoarding them in the basement, waiting for <laughs> the eight track to come back. I do see them on occasion at uh, sales, garage sales, that car kind of collectors thing. from that era. Low, probably, or I suppose, yeah, yeah, or I inside so. a 1976 Chevy Nova. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a 53-year-old woman riding a horse down a busy Florida highway has been arrested and charged with driving the horse drunk. <laughs> Wow. Polk County Sheriff's official said in the news release, bottom. <laughs> someone called 911 about a woman who appeared confused and possibly in danger. When deputies got there, they found Donna Byrne riding her horse on the road. Officers did a sobriety test, said she gave breath samples that registered blood alcohol level of 0.16, twice Florida's legal limit of 0.08. But she's on a horse. She's not in a car. Yeah, but she's on the freeway. Oh, yeah, char- charged charged with DUI and animal neglect for endangering and failing to provide proper protection for the horse. Deputies took the horse to the Polk County Sheriff's Animal Control Livestock Facility. Uh, she was booked into the Polk County Jail. Uh, no attorney listed for. Uh, I did see a mugshot of. Uh, she looks Burn. like the kind of gal she, to be arrested. Uh, looker. She's, she's she's more what we call a looker aware. She's fifty three, going on eighty one. If you know oh, what I'm saying, oh, yeah. that's the kind of looker. Well, she's getting bombed riding a horse. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. that's too bad. Federal government today released more than six hundred more secret documents related to the assassination of John F. Kennedy after national security agencies moved to open up their remaining files. President Trump last week, remember, reluctantly agreed to withhold tens of thousands of documents beyond a deadline set by law. But while Mr. Trump gave them six months for the review, he also ordered the agencies to begin putting out more papers on a rolling basis in the interim. That's what happened today. The vast bulk of the 667 documents made public today came from the CIA. It had never been released before. It was a smaller release than those that were put out last week, obviously. But a far greater proportion of the documents were being put into the public arena for the first time. Of the 2,891 documents released last week, only 53 had never been disclosed by the archives. And in Nebraska, an Elkhorn man accused of sending prostitutes to his neighbor's house is scheduled to be sentenced this afternoon. Doug Goldsberry pleaded no contest in September. Investigators called to a home near an intersection And there, the homeowners told deputies with the Douglas County Sheriff's Office they were fearful because women identifying themselves as escorts or prostitutes had been exposing themselves in their yard and demanding money. Complaints said a family with two small kids lived at the house. Women would go on the porch, strip down, or lift their shirts up. Deputies conducted surveillance, brought in two women who were seen exposing themselves. The complaints said investigators were able to figure out through phone records, Goldsberry, who lives across the street, had sent the women and would tell them to commit the act so he knew they weren't undercover officers. According to the complaint, Good he, plan. he would then watch the girls out the kitchen window, which faced his neighbor's porch, and take pictures. We have uh, coming wow. up not only today's lesson in irony, but today's lesson in irony that I've decided will be an Oompa quiz. Oh. Ooh, okay. Here's Jonathan Uhaus in the Channel 5 Weather Center. 
Okay, hey guys, we have a little bit of snow sneaking into the west side of the Twin Cities now. It's not much, but it's just starting to push into YZ and Minnetonka as we speak. And that'll be with us for the evening rush hour. It's not going to be anything heavy, and it'll be mixed with a little bit of light rain too. But it could certainly cause a little bit of delays here with wet roads here for the evening commute home. Temperatures will hold steady here in the mid to upper 30s and winds out of the east at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Then we'll have periods of snow mixed with rain overnight. Any accumulation would be in grassy areas less than an inch and we're not anticipating this to cause trouble in the Twin Cities but north of here, north of St. Cloud, north of North Branch, those areas will wind up with a couple inches of snow so driving toward Brainerd and Duluth overnight will be more difficult but not here. Here just wet roads. Overnight lows will be right around 32, 34 degrees in that range. And then tomorrow some light rain mixed with light snow in the morning. Cloudy and 43 in the afternoon. And, of course, don't forget, tomorrow night, set those clocks back one hour. Daylight saving time comes to an end on Sunday, so you'll see that sun up at 657 and setting at 455. The weather on Sunday will be cloudy and windy with rain in the morning and then just clearing in the afternoon. But temperatures will fall from the low 40s in the morning down into probably the mid-30s by about 5 o'clock and then mid-20s by Monday morning. So we're setting up for some uh, colder days next week, uh, but at least a little bit of sunshine by Monday, too, with a uh, high temperature at 35 degrees and some sunshine. But that is still almost 15 degrees colder than average for this time of the year. Got your records for the date for November 3rd? November 3. All right. Eight above in 1991 was a record low. Eight above in 19... Okay. And 74 in 2008. Thank you. All right. Today's lesson in irony is also an oompa quiz. Today's lesson in irony is also an oompa quiz. Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> a 19-year-old man shot himself uh, right in the unit, the uh, main unit. We I, I really hate when that happens. The main unit of the swimsuit area. Howie. The most important. As opposed to the, the not main unit. Not one of the two, not one of the two guys. Ride the main unit. Not the ride not, not the ride-alongs. He shot himself right there. Wow, why? After uh, allegedly holding up, uh, and that's your that's your Ooh. task, what was he holding up? Um, this? No, no, no. Okay, no. stick him up. This is a stick up. No, really? No. He, What's he oh. dragging? Uh, Tarion Pouncey remained at Christ Hospital recovering from his injuries on Thursday, missing a bond hearing at the Leighton Criminal Courthouse on two counts of armed robbery. That's not all he's missing. The Chicago Sun-Times is reporting. Uh, Pouncey had pulled out the gun and demanded cash from two employees, pressing the gun to the head of a 39-year-old worker, oh, uh, according to Cook County Attorney Aaron Antonianetti. Uh, the victim, who had been passing a bucket filled with grease over the counter, okay. called for his co-worker to hand over the cash from the register. As they passed their wallets in a stack of singles to Pouncey, the bucket tipped and bills went flying. Still pointing the gun at workers, Pouncey stooped over to collect the cash. Anton Antonietti said, shifting the gun in his waistband as he ran out, he apparently pulled the trigger, <laughs> firing the bullet that struck him right in the old unit there. Uh, one of the restaurant employees then began wrestling with Pouncey as he tried to run away before he staggered out into the street. Uh, what was he robbing? Oh, himself. No. <laughs> uh, what was he robbing? Mm -hmm. Grease. I think the word is grease. I first saw a convenience store, but no, it would be in that genre. Oh. But it's a lesson in irony. Why am I? Which is your that? which is your clue? What was he robbing? A gun store, maybe. No, no, not a gun no, store. not a gun store. It has something to do with food. 
Surveillance cameras captured video and audio of the robbery and showed Pouncey struggling to make it across the street, stop on a bench, and make his way to the steps of a nearby house before collapsing. I got it. Wait, wait, wait. I got it. Shall we play a game? Oompa, loompa, doompa doo I got another puzzle for you. This is easy. Yeah. This is a slam dunk. Really? You think so? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Well, you're using the word irony. Yeah. Irony. Right. And he shot himself in the swimsuit area. Right. Pfft, easy. Yeah. He was robbing Paul's Prothesis <laughs> Palace. <laughs> no. No. When they were greasing up. No, it was a KFC because there, there was grease. I don't know why we need to know this, but Pouncey's bloodstained boxers match the underwear he had on in the surveillance video which clearly showed the pattern on the fabric when the teen bent over to collect the money that had fallen Ooh. to the floor. Ooh. In other words, they got this guy pretty much nailed dead So they've got a bunch of employees. He's, he's being he's, held without bond. They're handing without... over the money into a bucket. They're handing over the, the bills and the, the wallets into a bucket, and the bucket tipped no, and spilled no, the no, money. No, Matt, no. No, there was a hole in the bucket, dear Liza. Oh. Pouncey pulled out the gun and demanded cash yes. from two employees. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Pressing the gun to the head of a 39-year-old worker. That's right. scary. That's not the nice. victim, who had been passing a bucket filled with grease over the counter, called for his co-worker to hand over the cash from the register. In other words, I've got my hands full here, oh, pal. Oh, hey, uh, yeah. Gene, we got to get yeah. this going. Uh, as they passed their wallets in a stack of singles to Pouncey, the bucket tipped and bills went flying. So he bends over to oh, pick up I the dough. And bucket. Boom, Grease ah, goes everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And he shot himself right in the deal. What was he robbing? It's a le- today's lesson. It's irony. not a food place? I didn't say it wasn't. What was he do robbing? They, an auto sell, body shop. No. They sell sausages or something? Or You're, John's getting closer. Okay. John's getting closer. Uh, Grease. Who ordered the sausage? Uh, fast food joint. He robbed a hot dog stand. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. Today's lesson in irony. <laughs> oh, I get that's where the irony comes he, in. He robbed hot a, dog stand. Robbed a hot dog stand and, and then uh, it was more of a had a terrible sour, uh, had a terrible accident. I think. I think you know we we need to do this. What? Let's more get ready kielbasa. for the scramble. All right. All right. <laughs> The Sands is proud to present a wonderful new show, A Man and His Music. The music of Count Basie and his great band. <laughs> yep, yeah. <sighs> and the man is Joe Suchere. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Huh? Non-factor. Huh? Hello? Yeah. How did all these people get in my room? Uh, right. That was okay. Not too that bad. was just okay. Come fly with me. We'll fly. We'll fly. No, that was terrible. Terrible is too strong a word. It wasn't you can use some exotic booze. There's a Say, I should mention this week, um, in passing earlier, I had to attend a funeral of the longtime uh, hero of mine, Ben Mann, from the Mann Theaters. Mm-hmm. He gave me my first job as a seventh grader at the Grandview Theater. And he died 57 years of age. He uh, had lung cancer. Short, quick battle of two months. And uh, we'll miss him. And we, we often mentioned him on the show because 
He's the one I'd like to pretend to fake smoke after. Yeah. And he didn't wear a belt. Yeah. And the Ben Man dance would be when you when you had your hips, yeah. that your pants would go below your hips, yeah. and he would just push his forearms yeah. to get those pants yeah. back up. Yes, and, and that resulted in the Ben Man dance. Yes, and I got to say goodbye to him, and I'll miss him. And, Weren't uh, you violating child labor laws by working as a seventh grader? Uh, I was family at the time, so. Oh, at the time. I, I always quit at 7.30, so I've never violated any. What did you any. do? I was an usher. Really? And he, Ben Man had the greatest job. When the first day he said, you know, you can be in the theater, but your mom has requested that you not be in any theater, that any any movie that's rated R, so you have to stay out. Oh, yeah? And I bit hard on that. I was so mad. And he said, no, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. <laughs> so he had a very good sense of humor as well, but he'll be missed. I don't believe they have ushers anymore. They don't have them as good as uh, we used to be. Mm. Walkthroughs and all. Get your feet off the well, chair. How many theaters were in the man chain? Uh, locally, they had a, a whole bunch of screens. It wasn't theaters, but it was screens. I see. All right. But uh, So he'll, he'll be missed. 57 years of age was too young. That's pretty young. It is. The smoking got him, huh? Yeah, he uh, he couldn't beat that. Like you said, It's some people think they can, and he never quit smoking. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, uh, we lost him. Well, that's a shame. Uh, what's coming up next? Uh, you have got uh, Friday football fill-in fun fest. That's right. 1500 ESPN is KSTP St. Paul, Minneapolis. It's 33.